Before I pray, I wanted to make a brief uh, confession and uh, that I was looking at the stage from a little bit closer and I could see up under the stage. So let me say this. I'm standing here by faith. (laughs) (laughs) Lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence today. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that is here to comfort and strengthen and teach us. We pray that your word would enter our hearts and transform our lives. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Claude. So this, this series that we're going to talk about is a family holiday, and we're going to spend the next four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, and, and we're, we'll give you details about Christmas Eve, but we're going to have an awesome Christmas Eve service, really beautiful Christmas Eve service. So make sure you carve out some time, 7, 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve, to come and, and worship with us. There's going to be a men's ensemble. It's going to be really awesome. Um, but, but I wanted to talk just for the next few weeks about a family holiday and the, and the importance of family and what a family really is and what it means to be a part of a family. And when I say family, I don't just mean biological family. I'm talking about a spiritual family of which we are all a part. And I'm not going to give away the whole sermon right now, but I, I just wanted to sort of introduce that to you. Um, in the United States, we tend to not know very far back in our ancestry. Most folks don't know very far back in their ancestry. You don't need to raise your hand, but if, you know, most of us in here will know the name of our mother and father. Not everybody, because some of us don't know our parents, but but most of us know the name of our mother and father. Many of us, and let me ask you this, just in your own mind, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you know the names of your maternal grandparents on both sides? Well, it's a lot of people. A lot of people will know that, right? How many of you will know the names of your great-grandparents on both sides? There's a couple genealogy buffs in the, in the room. How about your great-great-grandparents, right? At some point, we're just, <laughs> Craig knows everybody, um, but at some point, you know, you start to lose track. Like, you don't really know that much about where you come from. And um, I was talking to my, one of my great aunts this week on this whole topic. And she's sort of our family historian. I don't know if you have one of these, but she's the family historian. She kind of keeps track of everybody and who's having kids and who's not. She's got the whole family tree worked out. And it's interesting when you start to explore your own family ancestry, your own family genealogy and history, to find out stories that you didn't know about, okay? So, for instance, she told me a story on one branch of my family, through my mom and through her father, that, that, that line of our family, uh, they're Cherokee. They're from, they, are, they were, uh, in fact, my great-great-great-grandmother was part of the Indian Relocation Act of 1830, which is better known as the Trail of Tears. She was in southeastern, uh, the southeastern United States, and there was a sort of a forced relocation. And her and her family started walking uh, along with thousands of others. And they walked across the United States. And this great, great, great grandmother of ours, uh, like many others, suffered from either disease or exhaustion or starvation. And she died on the Trail of Tears. And it turns out that strapped to her back was a little baby girl. And another woman on the Trail of Tears picked this little baby girl up and carried her all the way to what was then called Indian Territory in eastern, what is now eastern Oklahoma. 
And that little girl grew up, had a baby, uh, had several babies, and that's the line from which my family comes on, on my grandfather's side. So my grandfather, C.H. Aiden, was born in, his birth certificate says Indian Territory. It doesn't say a state, it says Indian Territory. That's where he was born. And, you know, you start to explore these stories and you go, man, this is amazing stuff, you know. Some good, some bad. Not all of your family history is peachy, right? We tend to kind of forget some of it and, and, and sort of, we don't talk. Remember great-great-uncle so-and-so? We don't really talk about him, right? Um, but, but as you learn more about your family, you start to learn a little bit more about yourself. And there's been a proliferation, and I think rightly so, of people who are getting really curious about where did I come from? You know, who, where is my past from? Who are my ancestors? And there's a great um, show on, on PBS. Henry Louis Gates Jr. does this show where he invites celebrities onto the show, and he and his staff do all this deep historical work, and they bring them on the show, and they say, okay, your great-grandfather was in the revolution, your great-great-great-grandfather was in the Revolutionary War, this was his name, this was his unit, and you know, they start to learn things about their ancestors that they didn't know. It's very moving, and it can be emotional for people. And, it, and there's also these, um, these laboratories that are starting to pop up where you can get your DNA tested. You can take a swab from your saliva, send it to them, and they will run it, you know, through the, through the machine, and they'll, they'll find out who you're related to. What's your background? What's your ancestry? Um, and, and what's interesting that I found this week is that the Gospel of Matthew, when Matthew is trying to introduce Jesus to the world, he gives Jesus' genealogy at the beginning of Matthew. And it's a long genealogy. And it's a detailed genealogy. And it's a genealogy that 90% of us, when we read the Gospel of Matthew, we get about two lines into it. And we go, okay, here's where the story starts. And we skip down to verse 18. And we say, okay, this is the story of the birth of Jesus. But we skip verses 1 through 17. And as I was preparing for this series, I was reading through the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke over and over. And really, you know, praying and thinking about where do we, where do we, where do we dive into this story? But I kept skipping Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17. And as I kept reading and, and exploring, and then, you know, I, I, I kind of got convicted and then went back and read Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. And in studying that genealogy, I learned that there is deep and rich and powerful information and teaching in that genealogy that affects you and affects me in profound ways. And you may not catch it the first reading, you may not catch it the 10th reading. You may not catch it the 100th reading. But thankfully you came to church today, so I'm going to teach it to you. Um, so what we're going to do is I'm going to actually read you this genealogy. This may be the only time that you have this read to you or that you read it yourself. You know, the scripture says that all scripture is, is, is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is profitable for teaching and instruction and all that kind of stuff, right? That means even the parts we want to skip there's something in there, right, that's important. So, we're going to read it, and I'm going to read it fast. Otherwise, we'll be here, you know, the matinee will start. But I'm going to read it, and then we're going to dig into what is it that we learn from this passage, and, and how, how does it affect us? Okay, here it goes. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And here it is. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. 
by Tamar. Stop for just one second. We're not going to get into it, but I'm going I'm to talk to you about that in a minute. Because suddenly, we introduced mom. We were cooking through, this was the dad of this, the dad of this, the dad. Oh, and then Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. Suddenly, mom gets introduced. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Aram, and Aram, the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Ruth. I'm sorry, by Rahab. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, by Rahab, right? Another instance where we go, oh, okay, wait, what, what, what happened there? Mom, mom got pulled in. And Boaz, the father of Obed, there's our Ruth, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David, now this is interesting, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. This is, a, this is when you're at the family dinner table. This is the story you don't tell. Oh, our great uncle David, yeah? Remember his son Solomon by somebody else's wife? Remember, right? But Matthew goes out of his way to say by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and, Je- and, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon... Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiod, and Abiod the father of Zadok. Did I skip somebody? Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliot. I hope you're taking notes. We actually, we have a child that's going to be born in a few months, and if we're looking for names, there's some names. Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Thank you, Matthew, for giving us a massive list of names. What does this mean? What is this about? Why are you doing this? Isn't it interesting that Matthew, the first gospel, says Jesus came to the earth through a family. And it's important to know the family. It's important to understand that God sent his son through the earth, pierced the veil between the terrestrial and the celestial, the spiritual and the earthly, through a family. He came through a family. He came through us. A couple things that Matthew is trying to do on the surface, okay? Matthew is writing this gospel to mainly Jewish Christians. So he wants to establish, number one, that Jesus was one of the heirs of King David. Because the Old Testament scripture says that the Messiah will come and he will come through the lineage of David. And so Matthew is saying, Jesus comes through the lineage of David, okay? So that's one sort of surface thing he's trying to do. Another thing he's trying to do is, and he connects it to to Abraham. He connects Jesus to Abraham. And he says, Jesus came through Abraham, right? Abraham was this amazingly powerful and important figure in, in spiritual history. He's the father of the faith to three different 
religious traditions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, all of, all of us point to Abraham and say he is our father, right? And so, so Matthew is saying to the Jews, he's saying Jesus is an Israelite. He's one of us. He's from the, the same lineage as us. He's from the same tribe. He's one of ours, right? So that's on the surface. But what I think he's doing also, because he's doing things in this genealogy that he didn't have to do. He doesn't have to point out certain things that he pointed out. Who's the mom? Why did he introduce that mom? Why did he go to the trouble of, of you know, giving David, you know, pointing out David's flaw? Oh, and by the way, our, you know, our King David. Why did he do that? I'm going to talk just for a couple minutes about a few of the things that we draw out of this that impact our lives and have meaning for us. And number one is that this passage teaches us that Christmas is a life of expectation. Christmas and being a Christian means that we live in a state of constant expectation. For 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus, every single one of these Israelites and these Jews were living in expectation of the coming of the Messiah. That's a long time. But every single one of them were expecting it. They were reading the passages. You may wonder why there's a wooden sword on this uh, slide. My son, Lincoln, is three and a half. Lincoln went over to our friends Herb and Jane Torres' house. This is probably a month or two ago. He went over to their house. They have a couple little guys, uh, Max and Walter. And Lincoln went over there, and he discovered a little wooden sword, like a toy wooden sword. And something about that wooden sword captured his imagination. And when we left the house that day, he wanted to take the sword with him. And I said, no, you can't take the sword with you. That's their sword. You've got to get in the car. And separated him from the sword. Well, I separated him physically from the sword. But spiritually, emotionally, the guy wanted the wooden sword. And all he talked about every day from the moment he woke up was the wooden sword at Max and Walter's house. And then you'll remember my wife went to New York, you know, before I did, a few weeks ago. So it was just me and the boys. And literally from the moment he woke up until the moment he went to bed, he would be like, Dad, can we please go to Max and Walter's house? Because I want the wooden sword. I want to play with the wooden sword. And there were times... At about 11.30 at night, I was like, I wanted to just get him in the car and drive over there and say, give us the wooden sword. We cannot take it anymore. (laughs) And it didn't let up. And so the other day when my in-laws came into town, I made a deal with my boys. Unbeknownst to my wife, this was a deal just between me and my boys. And I said, boys, if each of you will give up Ten plastic toys. And we'll take them to the Goodwill. We'll give them to some kids who are going to want toys this Christmas. If you give up ten toys, I'll get you each one toy that you really want. Right? Well, Link, uh, Jameson wanted a Slinky. That's easy. Right? Slinky. That's four ninety nine at Target. Great buy. Wooden sword, a little harder to come by. Lincoln, of course, it, it's, that's all it is. Wooden sword, Dad. Wooden sword. Like, I didn't need to ask. We start trying to find a wooden sword. We're online. We're looking for wooden swords. We're trying to find a wooden sword. The Torreses, their kids, well, their little kids are not in here, so I can tell them this, actually offered to give one of their wooden swords to Lincoln without Max and Walter knowing. I hope they never listen to this sermon. They will be in years of counseling going, my parents betrayed me. Um, 
So anyway, they offered to get, they said, well, I don't know, we can't, we can't really do that. So we went to the store, we went to this store, we, went, we couldn't find a wooden sword. Finally, I said, I'm going to make a wooden sword. I went down to the basement, I found a piece of wood, I got a chisel, I got a saw, and I made this wooden sword right here. I think it's pretty good. I, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not a master craftsman, but let me tell you something. When I presented that sword to Lincoln, I mean, I have never seen the kind of ebullient excitement in his eye. I mean, he loved me more in that moment than he's ever loved me. I mean, I could be gone two weeks and come home and be like, hey, Dad, good to see you. But when I presented him with that wooden sword for which he had been living in constant expectation for the last two months, his joy overflowed. That sense of expectation, that sense of not letting go, that sense of hope, active hope, that's what it means to be a believer. It means that we have a constant, perpetual, daily, weekly expectation that God is going to intervene in our life in meaningful and powerful ways to help us take us to where He wants us to be. That means when you're struggling with your family relationships, with your marriage, or with your kids, that you have a constant expectation that the Lord is going to show up in ways that are going to surprise you, in ways that are going to be meaningful, in ways that are going to be powerful, and it may not be it's going to happen right on your timetable. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David. Fourteen from David to the, the exile. Fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. It's going to be on God's timing, but every single one of those folks lived in constant expectation that the Messiah was going to come. So I want to encourage you today. Let this genealogy speak to you to say, God is here. God is with you. I expect that God will see me through this. I expect that God will see me through this financial struggle, this family issue, my career adjustment, this issue of faith that I'm struggling with. I have a sense of hope and expectation that the Messiah will show up in my life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Amen. Matthew, uh, Isaiah 40, 31 says... They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Christmas means that God sees you in your struggle and that he is going to show up in your life in ways that you could never have imagined. Be faithful to him. Do not give up. Do not give in to despair and despondency. Hold on to the promise of God in your life. Amen? Amen. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I love this passage because it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit or acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He'll make your paths straight. Right? This means trust. Trust in God. There's a, there's a courage in trust because despondency and despair comes easily, right? But when we trust in God actively, when we give him our heart, we say, God, I don't understand everything that's going on in my life right now, but I trust that you will see me through this. I trust in that, God, right? And acknowledge him. When you're making those decisions, when you're making decisions about where you're going or what you're going to do, submit to his word, right? 
and, and he will direct your paths. That number three is you've got to follow him. You've got to follow him. When he, when, he, when he gives you a path, follow it. Because let me tell you something, and I mean this, and I, I bring this up a lot, but this has been a burden on my heart. When we follow Christ, when we follow his word, when we obey his commandments, it does not restrict us. It does not bind us. It does not harm us. It is so liberating. It is so freeing. It, is, it brings greater joy into your life than you can ever imagine. And everyone who's doing it knows it. Everyone who's doing it knows it. If you're not following Jesus, and none of us are doing it perfectly, and, and we're not legalists or anything like that, Jesus saves us by his grace. We can't earn our way in. But once we're his children, if we follow him, it brings us amazing, an amazing life. It brings us joy beyond anything we've ever known. I'm telling you, it's the truth. Believe it. Amen. Number two is that Christmas is a past redeemed. That's what, that's what this genealogy is telling us. It's telling us that Christmas is a past redeemed. How many of you have made no mistakes this year. <laughs> if, you, if you raise your hand, I call you a liar. I call you a liar. You've made a mistake. Have, have, you, have, have you lied even one time this year? Have you gossiped? Have you coveted? Have you acted selfishly at all this year? Have you overindulged at all this year? Let's skip Thanksgiving. Let's just block it out. It's like that doesn't count, right? Have you been greedy at all this year? Have you exhibited lust this year? Have you, has your temper got out of control at some point this year, right? All of us struggle with all, you know, all or some of these. And so all of us need a redeemer. Every single person on the face of the earth, the first thing that you learn when you become a Christian or, or even before you become a Christian, as you become a Christian, you realize that you need a redeemer. You need a savior in your life. You need someone. You can't make the change. You know, behavioral change is not going to cut it. It's just not going to do it. Because there's something deep, deep missing in our heart and in our life. And God is calling us to say, hey, I made a sacrifice. I'm the sacrifice for you. You need me. I'm your redeemer. And so the scripture is teaching us that, that the past is redeemed through Jesus, through the birth of Jesus. And the way Matthew is doing that is very clever. This is what, this is what he's doing. He is pointing things out, as I mentioned a minute ago. He's pointing things out that you would expect him to sweep under the rug. He's pointing things out in this genealogy that if you're trying to convince someone to follow Jesus, this is not what you put on his resume. If you're in a job interview and they say to you, you know, what's something that you struggle with or what's one of your weaknesses? Don't tell them your real weakness. Just don't do that, right? (laughs) Say, well, you know, the problem is I'm... I work too hard. I'm such a good employee that I find that, you know, I, I don't know. I do too good. I'm too efficient and I just can't stop myself, right? Right? So because we don't want to, we don't want to lead with our weaknesses. We don't want to lead with our problems. Okay? We don't want to lead with the spotty history from our past. But that's what Matthew does here. Matthew says, I'll go right in here. When he's back on, in, 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 in verse 2, he says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. By Tamar. He, for, the, for out of nowhere, he brings Tamar into the picture. Who's Tamar? She must be some amazing, righteous woman who is famous, and that's why he entered her into this. No. The story of Judah and Tamar is bizarre and seedy and strange 
It's why we send the kids out to Sunday school because it's not appropriate for them to hear it. But, but Tamar, Tamar was a, 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 there was a man named Judah. He had three sons. And one of his sons married this woman, Tamar. And, and that son died. And according to the ancient Israelite custom, the second son was supposed to then marry Tamar and give her a child. And the second son wouldn't do it. He refused to do it. He wouldn't do it. And, and I won't get into all of the, the detail. But if you read the, the passage, I think it's Genesis 38. Um, it's pretty deep. It's more of a Bible study conversation than a <laughs> Sunday morning worship uh, service. But, but he, so he, he, he won't do it either, right? So there's a third son. And, and he dies. Second son dies. There's a third son. And he's supposed to marry Tamar. And the father, Judah won't insist that the third son marry Tamar. And so she's left out there alone, stranded, no money, no place to live. And so she dresses herself up as a prostitute and goes and sits along the side of the road. And Judah is on a trip. This is her father-in-law. Judah goes on a trip, and as he's walking down the road, he sees a prostitute. She's veiled. He doesn't recognize her. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. And then when she becomes pregnant, she comes, well, when she, when she sleeps with him, she says, give me your staff and give me some of your personal items. I'm going to keep these, you know, and then I'll return them after I've been paid for my wares, for my services. So she keeps them. A little bit later, it turns out that she's pregnant. And she comes to Judah and says, I'm, I'm pregnant. And he says, you must be, he doesn't recognize, you know, he doesn't realize that it was through him. And he says, you must be a prostitute. I'm going to have her put to death. And she says, okay, that's fine. Here's your staff back. Right? And then he says, oh, wow. All right. So, so I mean, this is, this is the background. This is the seedy underbelly. This is the seedy backstory of the lineage of Jesus. And Matthew makes a point to bring it up. We know the story of David, Right? There's Uriah the Hittite, a strong warrior that's out on the battlefield fighting for Israel. David is luxuriating back at the palace, looks across his roof, sees Bathsheba bathing, says he wants to have her, brings her to his palace. She becomes pregnant. He brings Uzziah in from the battlefield, right? And he says, go sleep with your wife because he's going to try to cover his sin. And he won't do it. Uzziah says, I'm not going to do it because my brothers are out there dying on the battlefield. So I'm going to sleep on the steps of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the palace until I can be sent back out. So he sends him back out and he gives him a note. And the note says to the general, don't o-, he, says, he says, don't open this note. Takes the note to the general and the note says, put Uzziah at the front of the battle and then withdraw from him so that he'll be murdered, so that he'll be killed. This is David. And so Uzziah does that, and he gives it to the general, and the general does it, and Uzziah is killed. And David marries uh, Bathsheba, and they have a child. And that's part of Jesus' lineage. Why is Matthew bringing this out? He's bringing this out to tell us that your past doesn't control your future. He's bringing it out to say that God redeems even the most broken, even the most twisted, even the darkest situation in your life. He can redeem that, he can make that pure, and he can bring his son through the lineage of people who are desperately wicked, desperately broken, desperately evil, and have messed up in every imaginable way. And that's what he's saying to you. He's saying to you, your past doesn't have to dictate your future. Because the Messiah came 
to die for you. The Messiah came to cleanse you of all unrighteousness through his sacrifice. That's what the genealogy is telling us, is that Christmas means that your past is redeemed. Your past is redeemed. Everybody knows that in their past there are instances of betrayal and disappointment and hunger and hurt and pain and flaws and you know and and a lot of people let that hold them back a lot of people let that stifle them from growing and developing into who you know God wants them to be because they think you know what I I don't know I mean I've already messed up too much I can't I can't I can't change it you know I can't untie this knot I can't unscramble this egg right I've already I've already blown it and so I'm just going to sort of coast along and we'll see what happens you know I'll just kind of and God says, no, that's not what we're doing. I'm cleansing that. I'm, clean, I'm cleaning that out. I'm giving you a new chance. I'm letting you start new every single day. Amen? Amen. And finally, Christmas is an invitation to join the family. What's fascinating about this lineage and this genealogy is that Matthew destroys, he pulverizes the distinctions that were made in ancient Israel. And he says these distinctions don't matter anymore. Because if Jesus came through the lineage of Canaanites and Moabites and Gentiles. Remember the Jews and the Gentiles at this time, they were not friendly. They were not on friendly terms. In fact, there were, there were very observant Jews that wouldn't walk down the path of a Gentile. Where a Gentile had walked. Because they would become ritually impure and not able to access God, right? So these were stark enemies. And yet this genealogy introduces Gentiles. It just introduces them as if, yeah, they're part of Jesus' lineage, right? I mean, we at our church, at U City Family Church, I think one of the greatest strengths of this congregation is knowing and understanding that the family of God is open to all of us. I mean, this is the friendliest church, I'm telling you. This is the friendliest, most lovingest church I have ever experienced in my life. You know, I, uh, we, had, we do our 101 class, and it was a few weeks ago we had our 101 class, and everybody kind of went around the table and said uh, what they, you know, what, what drew them to the church, how they found the church, and what they liked about the church. And nobody said, you know what, that preacher is such a great preacher, you know. <laughs> But I know they were thinking that in their hearts. I know they were. Um, what they said was, you know what? I come in here. I feel loved. I feel at home. I feel welcomed. You know, there's a sense of family in here, right? Because we get, we're, 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 we're by God's grace, we are understanding that this family is open, right? This is a family. We bring people in. We help to strengthen. We love. We encourage we help you get through stuff, right? Why? So you can be powerful, so that you can go out and do the same, so you can transform the lives of others through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. And you know what? I honestly, this is a slight tangent, but I see our church, I see thousands of U City Family Church members transforming and changing the shape of our community in St. Louis. I mean, I'm talking about feeding the hungry, housing the poor. Bringing, you know, mentoring the kids. I see us transforming our community through the gospel of Jesus. That's what I see. I see extending this family beyond anything that any of us imagines right now. 
I really see that for us. And what the gospel is trying to say to us is that, is that the family of God, Jesus' family, this is your family. You are being invited into Jesus' family. You're being invited to be a part of this genealogy. This genealogy, this family tree, this is your family tree. This is your family tree. Listen to this. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter 12, he said to them, they asked him about his mother and father, and if you put that up there, Ryan, um, if you go to Matthew chapter 12, he replied to them, it's Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, but his disciples asked him, uh, who is, they, they were asking about his mother and father, and he said to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he pointed to his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying you're his brother and his sister. Because you are following him. You're seeking to do the will of his, fa- of his father. His father is your father. This is your family. And this family spans the globe and spans generations. And this is the family to whom he is calling you. If you look at the next passage in Galatians, and I'm going to close with this. In Galatians, Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What he's saying, you guys, is that you are invited to be a part of God's family. You are invited into Jesus' family tree. I don't know if that hits you the way that it hits me, but I want to be a part of, of, of the family of God. I want to be deeply embedded in the family of God. I want to be able to reach out to the creator of the universe and say, Father, I need you. I need you to walk me through this. I want to reach out to to my brothers and sisters and say, hey, I might need your help, right? Or you might need my help. And a family, you know, a family can sometimes be messy. It's not like a family is perfect. We might hurt each other's feelings, you know, every once in a while. But we love each other. We take care of each other. We work through issues together. We strive to better each other. That's what we do as a family. We strengthen one another. And today you are being called into the family of God. If you're not in the family, he's inviting you to come into the family. If you're in the family, he's inviting you to recognize your position in the family. You are a son and a daughter of Christ. Of, of God the Father. And Jesus is our big brother. We are joint heirs with Jesus. You're welcome to come into the family. Come into the family today. Let this genealogy, let the Gospel of Matthew, let the story of Christmas explain to you and, and, and clarify to you that you are a part of a massively important and big family. And he wants you to be a part of it. And he wants you to love it. And he wants you to enjoy it. And he wants you to grow in it so that we can change the world. Amen? Amen. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you, Lord, for 
uh, this, this passage that on first reading is, is just big and, and difficult to comprehend. And, and yet, God, at the same time, we know that you speak to us through your scripture. And we ask that you uh, open our hearts today and just penetrate our hearts today with the truth of your word. The truth of your word, Lord, that you've come to redeem us. You've come to call us. You've come to save us. You've come to make us a part of your family. Let that realization sink in today. As we go through the day, as we go through the week, if we feel alone, let us know that we can turn our eyes on you and we can call upon our Father and say, Father, be with me. Come into my heart, Lord. Come into my heart and change my life. Strengthen me, encourage me, inspire me, Lord, as I go through this life doing your work and your will. Give us strength today, Father. We praise you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.